0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. My name is Charlotte, I'm Patient Advocacy Manager here at Leukemia Care. Today, I chatted with Naomi. She was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia at the age of just 20. We talked about her journey through the pandemic and the support network who got her through it all. Thanks for joining me, Naomi. Hello. Hi, thanks for, for coming along. So today we're going to talk a bit about your diagnosis and how you came to have leukaemia and what's happened to you since then, I guess. So my first question to everyone is always about symptoms that you had um, before you went to the doctors for the first time. So did you have many symptoms?
1: Yeah, I had quite a lot of symptoms. At the time, I didn't realise they related to leukaemia. I, I thought it was just because I was working too much at uni. So I had... I had extreme fatigue, lightheadedness, dizziness, a loss of appetite, low mood, night sweats and bruises. So I had quite a lot of symptoms, but I just didn't put it down to leukemia, obviously. I just thought I was just drained, really. I didn't look much into it.
0: Yeah, so you weren't just at university where you You had a couple of part-time jobs as well, so that must have been a bit... A bit much of the time it's easy for you to say oh that's that and that's that I guess.
1: Yeah I literally had to sometimes have naps in my car because I was so tired during work summer breaks I'd have to go into my car and I'd just try to go to sleep for 20 minutes but it wasn't until I said it all to my mum that she really realised there was something wrong.
0: Yeah I picked up that in your story I guess people know what you're normally like that you don't always see yourself do you think that's fair enough she was she normally knows how energetic you are
1: I'd go around to see my mum and I'd just sit on the sofa and I'd just be dozing off and then she noticed that my lips were turning a bit blue or going really pale so she was like oh that is not right and that's when she called the doctors because I did have a blood test booked in but they cancelled it because of Covid so then my mum called them and said no she really does need to be seen I think it's like urgent and then that's when I had my done. Did you
0: see someone in person when you booked the blood test you'd already seen the doctor face to face or was that something you booked over the over the phone
1: no it was just over the phone
0: and how did you find that first time explaining what was wrong with you did you feel like they understood what you were trying to say
1: no I think I think when I spoke to him the first time I didn't really think it was so like severe so I can't I would not downplay it but i would just say no I'm tired and this and I think they mainly put it down to hormonal kind of things initially until I saw my mum and then that's when she called and said no like explain all your symptoms make sure they know everything and that's when they said yeah we'll do a blood test
0: Has your mum got a background in healthcare or anything like that she seems to be on the ball No
1: no I think it's just because she could tell how different I was how different I felt I don't know if it was their instincts or...
0: Yeah, I think it's important when we do like campaigns like the spot leukaemia one, it's to say, if you see this in you or if you see it in someone else, go and yeah. do something. And it sounds as if yeah. that someone else saved your life in particular. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you got a blood test, which is great. But just, again, going back to the symptoms, did you know anything about leukaemia before all of this did you know anything about symptoms of cancer even at all no not really I think it's so strange one of the main things I think of when I think of
1: cancer is lumps I don't know why I don't really think of any other other symptoms so and obviously now there's more advertisements out there that I noticed I think because before I never knew anyone close to me or really close to me that I'd gone through cancer or anything so I had no idea I was quite blind to it and now recently everything stands out and i don't know if it's more because of covid or what, or what but i feel like there is a lot more advertisements now for cancer and symptoms which is good but no i had i didn't i wouldn't link it to anything to do with cancer at the time i may, i thought i was maybe anemic or iron deficient like i didn't think of cancer
0: yeah, and you didn't think it was particularly serious either, did you?
1: No, no, not at all. Especially when you're young, you don't think it'll happen to you. I don't know why.
0: Yeah, and it is rare, don't get me wrong. It's rare for someone in their 20s, 30s to, to have cancer, but it's how we how we make it clear that it still can happen. Was that a message you think that was missing for people like you? It's rare, but it could happen?
1: 100%. Now I make sure, like, if my friends tell me anything or I don't know I just make sure I always try and get it into conversation I just like if if someone's not feeling right I'm like just make sure that you're okay like you're actually okay and it's not something that's I don't know more serious it's just you've got to watch out for it
0: so what happened next then so your mum insisted on a blood test and you went in and you had it who told you what what was the next step did someone call
1: Yes, yeah, so I had my blood test, I think it was on the Wednesday morning I had the blood test and maybe two or three hours later, really quick, quick, I had a phone call from the doctor saying that I needed to go have two units of blood transfusion and bone marrow biopsy. And still at this point, I was still not 100% sure. I was just like, all right, okay, and I just kind of going with it, not having an inkling as to why I'd need a biopsy or anything. They said on the Thursday morning, I'd have to go on the Friday to go have the biopsy and the blood transfusing. And then once I told my mum, my mum twigged on straight away that's why, why we're having a biopsy. But she didn't tell me because she didn't want me to panic. So I think my partner's mum said, oh, well, normally they do them for um, leukemia. But at the point, leukemia wasn't really, it, I didn't really know what it was. It's so strange. I didn't, I don't know. I don't know if it sounds silly, but I didn't actually fully know what it was. And I was just like, oh, okay. And then I went to sleep, woke up the next day and went um, for the, my blood and the biopsy. And the woman said, if I'm not back within an hour, it's okay, you can go home, you can leave. We'll call you with results. So obviously if she walked back within an hour, everything was going to be okay. And then we were just sat waiting. And my partner went to get up to go to work So it had been just over an hour. And as he stood up, a woman and the man who did my biopsy walked through the door. And that's when she asked for a private room. And that's when she said, she said, oh, it's very serious. And then she said, "We have leukaemia. And I just, I think I just, everyone just went into shock. And more because I didn't fully understand it as well. I was like, well, what does that mean? I don't. And then, yeah, it would just kind of shock, I think, for a while.
0: It's interesting that your partner's mum thought about leukaemia when she heard about bone marrow biopsies. Did
1: yeah. Did
0: she know... Did she say, oh, it's probably not that because leukaemia is only in kids? Did she sort of know what leukaemia was, if that makes sense?
1: You no, know, well, she said, "She said, oh, well, they do do them for leukaemia, but she said, but it, that won't be why you're having it kind of thing, kind of to like, downplay it, just saying, oh, that's what they do usually doing for, but most likely not kind of for you. It was just to rule. She, I don't know, she was like, maybe they're looking for anemia, like kind of down, downplay it, but I don't, I don't really know.
0: Yeah, I thought it was just really interesting that she knew what a bone marrow biopsy was. I don't think everybody mm-hmm. is aware of that. No,
1: I think it's because she's a donor. She's a stem cell donor. I think that's maybe why. Okay. Um, and my mom, and my mom knew why they did biopsy. She just didn't tell me. She just said, "All right, we'll we'll go."
0: Yeah, that must have been um, a really hard night for her. If she, you yeah. know, knew in, in has she ever talked about that particular bit with you? Yeah, because. I,
1: night I um stayed at my partner's house and my mom kept bringing me saying no no, please come home I want you to stay at home tonight and she was really worried but she didn't want to tell my And I was like no mom don't say like I'll pick you up in the morning and we'll go to the hospital and she's like no no, I really want you to come home and I was just like oh no no I'll see you in the morning and I didn't go home because I had no idea what she was threatening about so and now to this day now I know why yeah yeah
0: it yeah. must have been really tough yeah and we're talking about a period where it was a Friday in March 2020 but it was the Friday before we went into lockdown is wasn't it yeah and I think what strikes me is the fact that you had quite a few people with you are you grateful that you had all of those people there because if you'd probably been diagnosed on Monday you probably wouldn't have been able to it have been.
1: yeah definitely I think it was out not obviously not lucky but it it was good that I got diagnosed in time before the pandemic actually happened before lockdown happened and it was good that yeah I could have my partner and my mum with me when I was diagnosed and then my partner's mum also were allowed to come to the ward with me like all three of us was on the ward as I had to like get settled in They was there for just like the first few hours whilst I were on the ward and luckily because my mum came with me on the ward she could stay with me in the whole the whole like six weeks of treatment treatment so it, it, was, it was quite good how that happened. But obviously we did go into lockdown, so there were no other visitors. We couldn't leave the ward. We couldn't leave our rooms. Mm. Everything that was brought to the ward had to be wiped down. But even so, the ward I was on, I was on J94. It was just, it was the best ward to be on. It sounds, it's, you don't want to be on a ward, but if you're going to be on one, that one was the best one.
0: Yeah, you look for silver linings, don't you? I don't want leukemia, yeah. but if I'm going to have leukemia, at least I'm here in a place yeah, that's with, really caring.
1: Yeah, definitely. And the nurses were so amazing, and the whole t- all of them who worked in the ward was really great. And it, it's like there's some kind of comfort with that ward. I'll go on to it, and it's still, com- it still feels like not like home, but it's just a very nice feeling to know that I was there. And it was so nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And how did, I mean, you've talked about how you couldn't leave, but I'm guessing that you were so ill that the rest of COVID going on in the world didn't really register with you for a little while. Did you know no. what was happening outside of the hospital?
1: No, like, we obviously, we knew from what people were saying that there were no cars on the road and everyone was queuing up to get into supermarkets and everything was going on, but we had no idea because we'd not seen any of it. And by the time we was coming out of hospital, like, six or seven weeks later, hmm. it It had not picked up at all. It was still quite, we were still obviously in the lockdown, but it was, I think it was busier than it were at the beginning. So, but it was still strange to go out and see hardly any cars on the road and the motorways were empty and I don't, yeah, it was just, it was quite strange to be honest. We obviously watched it on the news because we was worried because obviously then COVID became a big thing for us that we had to try shield from. So, yeah, I think it it was weird to go back out and see.
0: When you first left hospital and and you started shielding, was it, do you think, possibly more difficult because everyone else was just sort of starting to come out a little bit? So I'm thinking like summer 2020. Did you have to stay inside where everyone else was eating out to help out back in those days? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I was still, I only just recently stopped shielding really because, because of my stem cell transplant. Obviously, got a weakened immune system. So I've been trying to shield as long as I can. But now, because I've gone back to university, I've slowly just started doing more things. I don't go really anywhere busy or do anything. I'm still trying to protect myself, not even from COVID, just from any infection, really. Yeah, it was quite difficult because I was at home with me, my brother, Mason, and my mom. And it was just us three. And we didn't go anywhere. We, did, we was hardly going to shops. People had to come drop our shopping off. I would get online shopping. And all my friends was able to go see each other, even if we were outside or because it was you had to eat outside most of the time. They were all seeing each other again. And I don't know, I wasn't isolated, but they were really good. They'd come to my window and they'd come drop me stuff off or, yeah, would speak for, they'd FaceTime me and I'd be on the other side of the window. And I'd, they'd come see me quite a lot, which was really nice. But obviously I couldn't go out and do things with them.
0: Did you spend less time saying, oh, no, I have to stay inside than you might have otherwise, do you think?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think because everyone knew what COVID was and knew how dangerous it could be to anyone. No one really knew how it was going to affect them personally. So I think just by saying I've got to shield from COVID rather than saying I've got to shield because of this and that and that, they understood that just because of COVID that I was staying at home, I had to stay away from people. And there was, yeah, they they got it straight away. And luckily, my friends looked into it all themselves, researched it. And made sure they actually knew what was going on so I didn't have to always explain to them which was nice
0: yeah I just remember even though I work in a leukemia charity um I've been speaking to people with leukemia for years about how they don't like to go out too much and don't want to catch flu or whatever I didn't really understand until COVID came along it's really weird um yeah, yeah it's nice to be able to to relate that to to something I don't know maybe people will be kinder in the future I think people kind of act a bit a bit strange about it when you're
1: trying to protect yourself from flus and stuff people don't quite understand it so not that they look at you weird but I don't know I think they think you're very overly cautious but they don't understand why you're doing it they don't know your story so it's it would be better if people was a bit more um, nice about it and just left people to do what they want to do one
0: thing that Uh, I was thinking from your story when I read it on the website, which, um, other people can, can read on our website as well. You talk about how you felt like you lost control of your life sort Mm of pretty soon afterwards. I wonder if you could expand a little bit on that. What, how were those first few weeks for you as like a young person, probably enjoying themselves and then you're sort of shut inside a hospital for a while.
1: Um, I think because usually I'm, I'm so in control of everything, having things taken away from me and not knowing what the next steps were. I don't know, it just made me feel really scared. And I'm, I don't know, I like to be so organised, I like have a plan for everything, but this is no plan, it just, whatever happens, happens. So I think it was being able, not being allowed to leave the board, not being allowed to leave my room, not being able to do what I like to do not being at home for so long I think it would just I don't know it would now I feel perfectly fine because I'm back in control of myself and I can I'm at uni and I can see my friends and I can organize my life the way I wanted to be organized whereas at that time Monday to Friday even when I was an outpatient I'd be in the hospital Monday to Friday receiving treatments I had no other life because I'm so used to having a plan I think this kind of just went completely off schedule obviously there's no there's nothing you can do to change it. You can obviously make yourself safer and try and make yourself healthier, but you can't determine the outcomes of the treatment or anything like that. But I feel like now it's so much better now,
0: yeah. I'm I'm the same. I, I like to have a plan for the future, yeah. even if yeah, it's for next week, the week after. So uh, yeah, I can imagine it was really, really tough. How How about... So you say you were working two part time jobs, and something we hear quite a lot from patients is how you know they they struggle financially was that a problem for you at all
1: no i don't think I don't think it was really luckily, I was quite quite okay i had i had savings before being diagnosed because i did because I did work and um I was a student I did already have money away, so it was it was okay kind of thing. I was fine. And then I had my mum and brother, they helped out where they, where they needed to. My friends literally bought me everything I needed for, for whilst I were in the hospital. I didn't have to really buy myself anything. I would just get my pyjamas, pamper stuff, food, everything were just being brought to the ward for me. I think if I had to do all that myself, I might have struggled. But because I had such a big support network, it was good, thankfully.
0: And um, I suppose how was it how with like the university work um like did you have to stop for quite a long time and how was was that like an extra stress did you have to negotiate with them about pausing things or was were they quite good about it all?
1: oh there was there was really good about it so the I was in my second year at the time and I had maybe like three or four assignments to complete before the end of the year. Um, So I did them assignments whilst I was in hospital. So I just got them done, Um, handed them in and then I had finished year two and then I deferred the third year. So in October, I had to defer because that's now going in for my stem cell transplant. But luckily it was all moved online anyway because of COVID. So all my assignments were done online and the wards helped me. They brought me a laptop. They brought me like stuff to do all my work with. So...
0: Can't believe you carried on while you were still in hospital. How for, was it a bit of a like, distraction? Was distraction.
1: it distraction? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It just took my mind off everything. So I'd just sit there, I'd the first time my friend who I was at uni with. She'd like talk me through it and we'd both make, make plans together and then we'd start doing the uni work. So it, it, yeah, it was a really big distraction. It really helped.
0: Oh, that's really nice. I'm not sure I would have felt the same, but. Hey, I guess it depends think, on how into your your course you are <laughs>
1: yeah I think because I was in there for seven weeks obviously the first few weeks were kind of a bit of a kind of didn't feel like I was there for the first few weeks I was kind of like in a dream but then on the like last three or four weeks that's when I was like no I need to get stuck into these I need to start getting them done
0: yeah I'm sure it's really important to have something to to remind you of home as well and all that sort of thing yeah yeah, sounds yeah. really good A bit of my life. yeah Exactly. Yeah. So let's uh, we talk a little bit about the treatments, I guess. So I'm assuming you had some chemotherapy to start with. Yes. Yeah, so I had a week
1: of steroids and then I had four chemotherapies, which were one every week for the first cycle of treatment. And then I also had the intrathecal ones, what they put into your spine. I think that's that was my first, yeah. They were just my first, um, that was my first block, was all chemotherapy and steroids. And then my second block was also all chemotherapy, but all different types. Luckily, I had my second one where I was an outpatient, so I'd just have to go in for the day, have my treatment, and then come home. I had to be in for the first cycle, which was six six or, six or seven weeks around that time. That was all an inpatient, just because of infection risks and stuff. Since I got diagnosed, I have found that, On certain days, I find I'm quite depressed or I can be quite anxious and the leukaemia has affected us with that quite a bit and it impacts on your daily life quite a
0: lot. I found it quite hard to manage at times when I didn't know what my life expectancy was going to be or what was going to happen next. Sarah-Jane is just one of the people affected by blood cancer to benefit from our Anne Ashley Cancelling Fund. Our grants fund up to six sessions, allowing you to explore the impact of a diagnosis with a professional. To find out more and apply, search Anne Ashley Counseling Fund on our website or call our helpline team on 080 88 010 444. And you later obviously had a transplant. Does that was that something they mentioned right at the beginning? You yeah. say in the story you you were told you a high risk of relapse, but when did that yeah. sort of Start being talked about. I guess
1: when I first diagnosed, it was just acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and then later on, i there as they do more tests and more look more into it, they realised I was high high risk because of, I had a complex carrier type, so I had more abnormalities than usual leukemia. So they just said from the start, more or less, maybe like two or three weeks, and they said from then, um, you are high risk, so we would look at doing a stem cell transplant. We need to see how all this treatment works first, and then. A stem cell transplant would probably be the way it would go just to try and minimize the risk of relapse.
0: And did you know what that meant? Have you heard of transplants before? You said your mum was a stem cell donor. So did that.
1: My partner's mum's a stem cell donor. Sorry,
0: yeah. No, I think
1: when they said it, I don't no, I didn't really know really what went into it. So we researched it, looked into it, they gave us loads of information on it. But I think because they said it was so like quite a few months away before i need to finish all my other treatment first i was kind of focused on my next block of treatment and what that was going to be and then when that was coming to the end that's when i started looking into more what what it is
0: and i think i personally used to think transplant as like a kidney transplant or a lung transplant so it's quite hard to imagine yeah quite hard to imagine it i mean did all the information you got help was or did it take a little while to to get your head around it
1: the way they explained it to me was quite easy to understand and obviously we were shocked when they said that it's like a blood donation like it's like a blood transfusion it's just stem cells instead so it's not like no procedure no like operation or anything like that it's just a transfusion so I think it was I don't know It was quite shocking and quite amazing to know how it works it's quite it's quite fascinating really
0: yeah definitely and how was the actual experience then because i think the you say it's just some stem cells and i think i've I've seen the i've seen the bag of cells and it looks when it's actually happening pretty i don't know calm and things but i'm sure it doesn't feel that way afterwards (laughs) no i think it's running the
1: the treatment running up to it the first week your conditioning um and well, and after it, to be honest, it was the hardest part, the hardest treatment I had to go through. I sh- I didn't, well, I did. I struggled with the chemotherapy and stuff. There were certain ones that I just really found hard to tolerate. But then some chemotherapies quite not many side effects, so it you never really knew what was going to happen. But on the stem cell transplant, because I had total body irradiation, I had immunotherapy and chemotherapy. My body was completely wiped out, so. Even though it's not an operation or a procedure, your body takes so much time to recover from it all. And I think it was the radiation that mainly made it really difficult. So even though it's no operation and it's just like a transfusion, your body's still not in any kind of good state. For seven or eight weeks, I was in hospital for my transplant and I had severe muc- mucositis in my mouth, in my gut, everywhere. I couldn't eat for like six weeks. It was. Uh, it, it wasn't the best experience, but you know that you're getting out of it kind of thing. So you're like, this is definitely worth it. This is 100% worth it to minimise the chance of relapse. But I think as long as you take everything in with you to make you feel comfortable whilst you're there and to kind of build yourself up knowing that it's not going to be the best experience, but you're going to come out of it, I think that's all you can really do. I don't think you can prepare enough, but it's just nice to know that everything's been done that can be done.
0: I think I've heard the mucositis in your mouth is quite is, is probably the one of the worst ones because obviously it stops you from eating and eating tends to make people feel better did you have any specific tips or ways of getting around that was it just something you've had to push through
1: no there's there was nothing I could do physically nothing I couldn't I couldn't drink I couldn't literally do anything because it was so bad that it was just it was a pain to even speak like I couldn't properly speak my throat and everything when I had to swallow it was difficult so initially they tried putting feeding tubes in because obviously I wasn't eating and then they didn't work so I had three feeding tubes that eventually had to come out they all came out the same day because I just threw them back up so then I had to be fed um, through an IV which went through my pick line so no I don't think there's anything you can really do even the doctors and stuff they said we we still want to try and help you with this but there's not there's not much you've just got to give it time to recover for your body to recover itself
0: amazing what a little bag of cells can do to to you yeah yeah, definitely. yeah. and were you prepared I guess for the length of recovery did they explain you know that you be in, have a bad immune system for quite a while afterwards did, were you prepared for that bit
1: yeah so they said they gave me like a huge booklet to read way before I had my transplant and I read it multiple times so yeah I knew that I knew I'd be potentially in hospital for around seven to eight weeks I knew that afterwards I'd have to isolate stay at home everything we'd all have to stay in try avoid avoid people and everything so yeah we I think we were quite on the ball with it especially my mom and brother they literally did everything they could to make sure that when I came home it was all perfect and that it was nice to just be at home rather than be in hospital and at the time luckily my mom was furloughed and my brother was as well so we was just able to actually all stay in and just kind of make the most of being at home which was nice
0: yeah again another way of finding a silver lining in a horrible situation 100%. yeah
1: yeah
0: 100% and I'm interested I'm always interested when I talk about transplants in the donor part of it we've had some really interesting stories where people meet up with their donor and I know there's sort of rules and things in place but have you ever thought about that person who donated their stem cells was it someone you knew or did you have to go and find a donor from the donor register
1: it was a donor so my brother was tested and he was not a match um so with there was a donor, and I think it was a. All I know is that like it was a male from Germany. There's nothing else I know. I have tried to contact my nurse, has tried to contact it, but we haven't heard a response as of yet. But I do really want to meet up with him if I can, and I do definitely want to write him at, like, a letter to him. It's just whenever they get back in contact with me, or if they do.
0: Yeah, it must be strange feeling a connection to someone yeah like that um i can't imagine how that must feel and i hope they reply
1: yeah i don't i don't even know what i'll say but i need to I, I need to put it all together i think there'd be too much i'd want to say but i've just got to wait yeah for them yeah
0: i hope that goes well for you best of luck. Thank you. so i guess maybe a nice place to end is where you are now i mean how are you what are you up to at the moment? So you had a transplant in 2020 and I assume everything's still going well for you You're back at university and things? Yeah so I'm back at
1: university but luckily they allow me to do it from home so at the moment I'm studying from home. Um, In March I'll um, be doing a placement and we've not quite figured out whether I'll do it from home or if I'll do it going out onto placement into the office and stuff but yeah, at the moment, everything's getting completely back to normal now. Luckily, I've, I'm back at uni, I'm seeing my friends, seeing my family, being able to enjoy some time with people and get back out there. And the main thing that's made me do that is because I over Christmas, I did pick up COVID, so and now I'm fine. So I think I've, I've got a bit more confidence in going out there and seeing people and getting my life a bit more back to normal.
0: One of the things I I wanted to to ask as a last thing is why you wanted to share your experience, I guess. So you're all back at at university and moving on with things. People have different reasons, I found, since I've started asking this question on the podcast for for talking about it. I just wondered what, what yours was. How come you said yes to today?
1: I think I have more than one reason, to be honest. I want to make other people aware. And I don't know. I feel like if you're being told by people who have not gone through it, it's not as ha- it's not as easy to like resonate with people, and I think it's easier for people who've experienced it to actually like shed a light on how things go. And obviously, everyone's experience is different, but just to have someone else's perspective who's been through it, I think it helps a lot of people. And I I want to do I'll do as much as I can do for charities, like because all the charities have helped me so much. So if there's an opportunity to help help charities, I'll definitely be up for anything, really. And also, I think. A personal reason is to kind of validate my experience because sometimes I feel like I like brush it under the carpet and act like it's not happened. And I try and I feel like a lot of people do it around me because they don't want to bring it up. So I feel like we kind of ignore that it's happened and doing stuff like this, like appreciates what I've gone through kind of thing. And I don't know, it makes me grateful and realise that it's been a hard two years, but I'm here and I can speak about it and I can share my story.
0: And we're grateful for, for you too, So I know it must be really hard sometimes to, to talk about these things. So thank you for your time, Naomi. It's been really, really good to chat to you. And thank you for everyone for listening today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leukaemia Chatters. For more information and support from Leukaemia Care, go to our website, leukemiacare.org.uk, or call our helpline on 080 444 See you next month